Hi, Noah here with a little pre-music roll down. This is our second stab at putting out this episode. Um, Zencaster failed us. Uh, it, 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 it hasn't failed us this spectacularly before. Um, this is an episode where we recorded remotely with uh, two different guests, and it did not sync up the files correctly. So... Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna look and see and if, if there's anything I can do long term to fix that. But I got a feeling we're not gonna be doing uh, one of these again, maybe ever. Um, I've gone through and I've tried to resync everything, but um, it eluded me to a degree. So you may hear laughs happen a little bit before a punchline lands. Um, I've done my best to carve this out. Um, without having a master track for reference, uh, it's, it's, it's not impossible. It's just, there's not enough time to do it, uh, in a way that wouldn't completely drive me insane. So, um, this, this is, this is pretty good. Um, the conversation's great. Uh, but unfortunately the, the audio system failed us. So, um, any kind of weird pauses you hear, those are, those are in the editing um, and, uh, I have gone through every single transition and tried to match it up as best as possible. Uh, if you want to really audio nerd out on it, um, I'll probably go complain about this on the irregular. In fact, I'll probably do this like immediately. Okay. Uh, that's enough. Um, it's, it's totally listenable. Uh, it'll just be awkward a couple of times. There you go. Enjoy the show. <laughs> Hey gang, welcome to episode 150, that's right, 150 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, friends of the show, Lisa and David Spira of Room Escape Artist and Michael Anderson, the owner of ARGN.com, uh, we're coming together to have a conversation about... Um, this is actually a very organic conversation. It grew out of two separate conversations I was having, one uh, one with David, and then uh, Michael had a little mini rant he went on on Twitter about uh, designing for sort of the, the secondary and tertiary conversations around a piece of work. And uh, David and I had been talking about uh, spoilers and like how to write about escape rooms and other stuff. Uh, so that you could you know, really get down into talking about a piece of work without giving every secret of the work away. Um, and we just sort of uh, realized we had a peanut butter and chocolate situation and so have mashed those up. Uh, it's also fun because uh, we're all coming at it uh, as people who live, breathe, and eat uh, the th sort of three of the pillars of this uh, immersive theater from our side of things, escape rooms from uh, Lisa and David's side and uh, alternate reality games from Michael's side. More on that in a moment. Um, but this is the 150th episode of no proscenium. So uh, if, if perchance uh, this is your first time 
welcome. Uh, there's 149 more of these things uh, for, that you can dive into and explore. Uh, indeed, we do talk about escape rooms, alternate reality games, virtual reality, immersive theater, uh, pretty much anything and everything immersive. Indeed, why it's why we call it, we, we say, you know, everything immersive. Uh, we've been at this now for, for the better part of three years. Actually, we've, we've been at it for three years. There, there's definitely weeks where we didn't have an episode. So uh, uh, I think it was May, uh, May of 2015, I want to, 2016 to 2017. Yeah, I'm not good with math. Uh, I'm not good with math. It's, 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 it's a known thing. No, May of 2015 is when we started off the show. Uh, Might have been late April. And um, yeah, here we are uh, all this time later. No signs of stopping, no signs of slowing down. Uh, past couple episodes, have we've been using the magic of Zencaster to bring everybody together. Probably going to see a, a lot more of that in the future, uh, just because there's there's so many more places and people to connect with uh, beyond, beyond just Los Angeles and New York. Uh, one thing we do try and do here on the show, though, is we always try and talk with folks uh, either we've been having conversations with before or whose work we're familiar with so that uh, we're not having one of those. Uh, we've had a few interviews where it's like, all oh, so um, your thing that you're going to make, um, can you um, can you tell us about it? <laughs> and then we have no idea. And and of course, the, the most terrifying versions of that is, you know, when you do that and then you go see the work and you're like, all, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, none of that today, though. None of that today. This is one. This is one of them thinking episodes, um, which is pretty good for Memorial Day weekend. This conversation is going to go all over the place. But before we get into that, got a little bit of business to do, uh, and that's to talk about the lovely people who make this possible. Our Patreon backers. Perhaps you're one of them. There are a lot of you. In fact, let's just let's go to the internets. Let's go to the internets. How many people are backing NoPro these days? Da, 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 da. You'd think it would load just a thing. 163 patrons. Wow. Uh, bringing in uh, over $1,000 a month. We're at uh, $1,089 right now uh, on our way to our next goal of $1,250. Uh, no new patrons this week. Boo. Boo. Uh, but I do want to thank our... <laughs> I do want to thank... I had plenty of coffee this morning. Uh, I do want to thank our backers, uh, our sustaining backers, Bradley Smith, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, Arthur Tubman, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth for always being the spine of support. And indeed, everyone who is a backer, uh, thank you so much. We're going to do another big push in June because I want us to definitely clear that 1250 And if you all think me possible, I want to get to the $1,500 mark, because the $1,500 mark is uh, the on-the-road mark, and uh, that's when we start putting away a travel budget, uh, not just uh, for yours truly, but um, to help out some of the folks who write for us as well, uh, kind of be able to expand that range, because it'd be nice for us to uh, get out of town. You know, there's stuff in Vegas that happens that I'd, uh, I'd like to be able to go see, I know there's stuff up in the outside of the Bay Area that we like to be able to send Jessica up to. Uh, in New York, Catherine can definitely leave town. And uh, we need to offset those costs because, uh, as we've said many a times, uh, this, this is not free. Um, this is the year that we want to go pro. 
uh, to do that means pulling in a lot more money than we're pulling in right now. Uh, there's there's some avenues we're checking into uh, to make that a possibility. And indeed, over the next few months, you'll be seeing some changes around here, all for the better, all to increase what we've got. But none of that would be possible without you. Uh, so your action item for the week is uh, share this episode, share episodes of the podcast you love, um, share the newswire, share everything immersive this week, which you can find at nopersinium.com, share it using Facebook, share it using Twitter, uh, share it using uh, the bird you've trapped uh, that you found on the street and you've managed to tie uh, small pieces of paper to it that have URLs. Write the whole URL out. Don't just write the nopersinium.com. Please do the slash and then whatever particular article you want, uh, attach that to the pigeon's foot and then let it fly away. If it's a pigeon you caught, maybe you caught something cooler, maybe you caught a hawk, uh, use some really good leather gauntlets because uh, I don't want you getting scratched up. And remember, the full URL or, you know, use the bit.ly. Uh, that's cool too. <laughs> I'm imagining someone tying. I'm imagining someone tying uh, uh, one of those pigeon pieces of paper to uh, a, a hawk, uh, to their to the foot of a hawk, uh, writing the Bitly code out, and then like setting it off, and then being like, "Oh, oh shit! I forgot that was supposed to be a nine and not a six or something like that." Anyway, um, silly, silly times. Um, patreoncom slash nopersinium is where you, you drop money off at. But but honestly, the biggest thing everyone can do to help out is to tell people about the show, drop us a review in iTunes, etc. Okay, enough of that. Let's move forward. Uh, Lisa and David have been on the show before, so you know them. Uh, Michael Anderson, but maybe this is your first time, so <laughs> duh. Um, you're in the middle of a conversation. Just catch up. Come on, catch up. Uh, Room Escape Artist uh, is the premier escape room blog uh, on the planet. Um, I, th I think I make that claim for them. Um, they've got just, they've been everywhere. Uh, they've played every game they could get their hands on. Uh, and they're based out of New York. And it's just, it's just solid, solid breakdowns and writing. Uh, if you're, if you're a fan of escape rooms, if you're curious about escape rooms, they're the best resource out there you could possibly want. Um, and they're, they're buddies. Uh, we've been, we've been friends for, um, about a year and a half now. Um, and whenever they come out, we, we get together and talk and, uh, David and I have been talking for a, a while, kind of offline, about uh, about some some other stuff. And in, in one of our conversations, we sort of started to kind of go into like, well, how, what's the best way to like do like narrative coverage of, you know, really immersively bent escape rooms, right? So stuff that involves actors, and you know, how do we how do we talk about this stuff without giving away the surprises? Because you know, anyway, we're gonna get into that uh, in the piece itself, and then. Like I said, Michael had a um, there was a little little rant that came up that was all about you know sort of like the secondary and tertiary conversations about something that was going on, which is a lot of how alternate reality games and experiences are are experienced. They're not necessarily stuff that's that people encounter as much firsthand as people encounter uh, the field reports of the people who are are playing the game or having the experiences. There's so much potential here from a design standpoint for how you approach these issues, whether you're dealing with 
uh, sensitive material that you've got to communicate ahead of time to your audience so that, you know, you're not having people freak out in your experience when you didn't want them to, uh, all the way to, you know, how, how do you ensure that when someone, or can you ensure that when someone experiences, uh, your show or your event, um, that they're hitting the big beats and they're talking about it in, in enthusiastic ways, you know, it, are there ways that you can kind of, you know, you know, set up the playing board to, to, to not, if not necessarily guarantee you're going to get, uh, your audience talking about it in the way you want it to them, them to, uh, then at least, uh, are you giving them the proper hooks? So this conversation kind of goes like here and there and everywhere as no percentage often does, uh, and, uh, it's just, it's good food for thought. So, um, grab yourself a cocktail maybe, or, uh, start your jog and, uh, or maybe both. Why not? It's Memorial Day weekend. Do what you want to do. Uh, so what I'm saying is forget the water in your hydration bottle, put some whiskey in there, go on the run, plug in the headphones and get ready. Cause, uh, here we go. All right, as mentioned at the top of the show, this is episode 150, which means while I'm recording it, I'm uh, committing to make it episode 150. Otherwise, I have to cut this part and that'd be weird. Um, today, we're virtually bringing together uh, three forces. Uh, Lisa and David Spira have been on the show before. They're from Room Escape Artist. Hi, guys. Howdy. Hello. And new to the show, and 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 we don't usually do like cross like internet communications here is Michael Anderson, who is the owner of ARGN.com, one of the major resources for alternate reality games on the internet. Michael, welcome to the show. Noah, thanks for having me. Excellent. It's every, everything's working. The recording's still working. And I have a cup of coffee. So hopefully this will this will work out very well. Um the reason why I've brought us all here today is um David and I were having a discussion, uh, a discussion about how to cover escape rooms, particularly when it came to dealing with, uh, you know, how how much information to give, how to avoid spoilers, um, you know, that sort of thing. How to basically how to talk about them in public without giving away the game, literally giving away the game, and 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 trying to start to navigate that. And then the very next day, I f- I, I flip open Twitter, and I think it was John Greg Gomez uh, who I think listens to the show. Uh, he had retweeted something. Michael had gone on like a little mini rant, a little little essay the day before about designing for the people who never encounter your work, uh, designing for the discussion that happens afterwards. And I saw that, and I and I actually I follow Michael on Twitter, but I just hadn't seen it that that the the day it happened. And I just said, this is like the same conversation. David and I were just having, and and so David and I were already planning on uh, doing this episode and and just having the discussion because it was a different phone call. It was a phone call about something else that that got off on a rant, and I was like, Ooh, we should save this for the show. And then I was just like, okay, we got to get Michael in. So Michael, could you take us through your 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 take here, and then we're just gonna we're all just gonna talk. So, but I want to give you the floor first. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just to set the stage for this, um, the fact that you found this tweet spree from a stray retweet of 
one of the pieces of it is exactly the challenge and situation we're dealing with here, where um, anytime you're dealing with anyone interacting with any type of story, any type of narrative, any type of thing, you've got a whole bunch of planning that goes into it that uh, you're breaking it off into, okay, I'm going to have these details pulled through and these little Easter eggs plotted around. And unfortunately, none of what you're plotting of how uh, of how the story is going to go matters once it hits the audience. And what that means for a lot of what we do is there are certain times and messages that you can work with. So um, for me, I, I do a lot of writing about alternate reality games. There's a, there's a couple key beats of time when there are discussions that can happen about your game and people will go, oh, that's a thing that's happening. Uh, when something is just launched um, or something is about to launch, you get to hear a lot about, oh, you know, I think something's going to be happening. Uh, recently for the last week or two, uh, Wizards of the Coast, um, with, uh, Dungeons and Dragons has been dropping a lot of hints of something's going to be happening in an alternate reality gamey kind of sense with Dungeons and Dragons. And the way we know that is they sent a whole bunch of USB keys to, um, celebrities within the, uh, streaming communities and they set up a couple dead drops at gaming stores where you go over and if you have the right keyword, you can uh, get on the list to pick up a package. Um, none of this has actually turned into anything substantial or a story yet, but that's something where people can glom onto it and think, oh, something's happening. This company is making a lot of efforts to let you know that something is coming without telling you exactly what it is. And a lot of times when you're talking about promoting products, that's where a lot of the focus is placed. So um, if you are going through an immersive theater um, uh, project or if you're going through an escape, you say, hey, we're launching this thing and here's some details that are going to tempt you to try it. That's great. That's wonderful. But the types of messaging that you have for that type of communication don't actually follow through to when you're talking about the thing as it launched, which is a different type of messaging. And then the thing is, it's concluded where you turn around and say, hey, look at this cool thing. And by the way, I'm not dead. I'm not retiring. More stuff is going to happen. So long story short with the rant, a lot of it is about just remembering that what matters for how people are talking about your project is how they experience it. And you're not always the one who's going to be doing that talking. Um. Did that make sense? Because, uh, again, in Twitter rant, you've got the uh, various chunks going through. Oh, yeah. I think I think, I think it, it makes sense to me. Of course, I've got a, a horrible Swiss cheese brain. Um, and I think the thing that's really interesting to me right now vis-a-vis, you know, the duties I have as a, as a writer about immersive experiences and as someone, you know, just as, just as a fan who wants to talk with other people, particularly when something is uh, instanced and they can go to it or, or, you know, the other thing when, when, when a short run show closes down, you know, 
how to talk about it and not just not just like how to talk about it like oh what should i be doing to talk about it but like what can designers do to make it possible to talk about the work without com- either without completely you know destroying the experience of someone uh, if it's possible for them to go back, that's the challenge in escape rooms, or you know how they can structure things in a way so that when someone talks about it, when it's after the fact, it doesn't sound like the rantings of a crazy person, right? Like that there's solid enough hooks so that someone from the outside can look in and say, "Oh, that makes that makes sense," and and maybe even like how much. A designer can do to control any of that, right? Like that's the thing that's really interesting here is like, what can the person who's making the work do to have an impact on how people talk about the work without handing them a sheet, like an embargo sheet that says, "Here's the things you can and can't talk about," right? Which is what happens in the video game world with reviews, you know, up to the point of when a game. You know, they'll say like you can't talk about this part of the game until two weeks after it's out, and the relationship there, of course, is that these video game companies have the power to just say you're not getting review code, and that means you're not going to get clicks on your website, and that means you're not going to get ad money. The same, the stakes aren't as high in our world, um, but some of the challenges are the same, and and the challenge around escape rooms, and this is where like, David and I were talking, uh, is. Escape rooms, if they're lucky, they're persistent. Like they just they just hang on. But like to talk about one with someone uh, can get really really difficult. So, seems like a pretty good place for me to jump in and kind of talk a little bit of the backstory from our end, which is that we've been writing about these writing about escape rooms and immersive games for f- almost four years now. We're going on a thousand posts, and the overwhelming majority of them are reviews. Um, our unofficial slogan from the beginning has been no one says nothing in 500 words like we do. Um, we had a very firm opposition to spoilers in the beginning. Part of that was our decision. Part of that was really the culture of escape rooms at the time, um, especially very early days. These games were brutally hard. Um, winning one was you know, a, like a big accomplishment. Um, the games have softened over the years. They've shifted from more about puzzling against the room to experiencing the room. Um, and there are, there are different genres now. We have games that really are purely about the puzzles. We have games that are much more about the narrative arc that the players take throughout the experience. Um, we also do have, although they are pretty uncommon at this point, um, pop up in temporary games that have a very short shelf life. But I would suspect that, at least from our perspective, that is a very tiny percentage of what we see versus the alternate reality games world and the immersive theater world where um, the persistent games are the exception, not the rule. Yeah. And I think that feeds into one of the challenges where each of us are dealing with slightly different nuances. Uh, where uh, for Lisa and David, um, I, I ended up uh, reading your uh, your review for an experience um, uh, called The Man from Beyond. That was a strange bird uh, immersive game uh, done out of Houston, and so and I read that article before doing the room. But even if we were to sit down now and have a conversation about our experiences with that room that we both experienced. 
the way it's designed is something where our answers and our responses to what happened are going to be slightly out of whack. Um, from Noah's perspective, um, I've gone this many years without having ever gone to sleep no more. So everything that I know about sleep no more is from that vicarious perspective of hearing people talk about having gone through it while being slightly cagey to make sure that they're focusing on those key details. Um, that what's happening before a show launches is often much less challenging than what's happening when something is currently going on. Because um, with The Man From Beyond, for instance, we can talk about a lot of the theming and the structure without giving away the core of that experience. We can talk about how it's a bookended immersive theater, um, uh, escape room experience. We can talk about how the focus of it is much less on whether you're going to escape and more of just being through that experience. But if we were to get into the details of the specific puzzles, that's something where we might be getting into that territory where even though Noah probably is not going to be taking a trip out to Houston, it might position things where we're inconveniencing some of the listeners, knowing that 99% of the listeners of this podcast, what we're talking about right now, may be all they experience of this room. You know, when it comes to The Man From Beyond is a really great example of a game where we talk about it a lot. Basically, anytime anyone gives us a microphone, we talk about this game <laughs> because we love it. Um, and you can talk about, you know, from, from our perspective, you can talk about things like how the puzzle, the puzzle game within it was heavily inspired by the Room series um, on iOS and Android, um, that the puzzles are very mechanical and they feel very much like they were handmade um, to be machines in the 19, you know, early 1920s. Um, you can, I think you can talk about that without saying this is what the individual puzzles were and this is how they solved. Um, and that is, this is, this is a really great example of, you know, where the, where we feel the lines are when it comes to escape rooms. The area that we get especially cagey about is the ending of the man from beyond, um, and where that game ends up going because it's an emotional journey at that point. Um, you know, we, we explicitly don't give away puzzle solutions. That's an easy, bright line to, to draw when talking about escape rooms is that you shouldn't know what the answers to the puzzles are. I think that's pretty easy. I think we also don't give away what the puzzles exactly are. Yeah. And that, you know, some of that is just because what we don't want to have happen is we don't want to have people who are like camping out waiting for particular moments um, and then pouncing on that to the detriment of the rest of the team. Um, we think a lot about, you know, how will what we write impact the organic gameplay of the team that are in there. Um, but when you, and there's, and there's something to like the, the discovery of a puzzle in an escape room, right? Like if it's particularly, if it's a diegetic puzzle, you might not even realize it's a puzzle or you might be standing there suspecting it's a puzzle for a very long time until the clue drops that unlocks, you know, yep. how to solve it. Right? Exactly. So like that's, that, that's, that's a, that's a ruiner there. And it's, I mean, there's, there's an analog here, say in like movies when people, some people like 
want to know the plot to a movie before they see the movie. It actually like calms them down in some way. That right? that, I, I, that would be me, especially when I was yeah. a child. I wouldn't watch a single movie unless my mother told me the entire plot and I felt comfortable with it. Yeah. And, and then other folks, like they don't want to know a single shred because they want to totally lose themselves in the story. And I mean, my own journey with stuff like spoilers, you know, uh, when it comes to films, I was obsessed with the production of episode one, Star I'm Wars. So, so um, sorry for you. Yeah. And so I knew just about every single thing going in. And my God, is that movie inert if you know everything that's going to happen? And then I tried to temper myself with episode two and failed. And just miserable time watching that film. Three was almost spoiler proof because it's like, well, he's going to turn into Darth Vader and they're going to have the fight in the lava pit. And I'd known that for like 25 years at that point. But I wound up enjoying it more just because it was more like watching a production of, you know, Orpheus or, uh, or, you know, Oedipus or something. I'm Oedipus would be the right thing. I picked, or I don't know why I said Orpheus. Uh, you know, I know how the story is going to go. I'm watching this production. Uh, wow. That dance fighting is really great. Um, you know, flash forward not too far and, you know, Fight Club knew nothing about it going in, but someone screamed the twist from a ca- passing car just as we were walking into the movie theater. And to this day, I wonder if I would have perceived certain things in the film because of all the tricks it plays if I hadn't known walking in that it was happening. Or like what would have the effect of seeing certain imagery, even though it was just flashed for a moment, would have been to my psychology if I hadn't known the answer? Would I have figured out the twist? You know, the film does a lot to 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 tell you what's going on without telling you what's going on. And that moment of revelation is intended to be deeply satisfying. That moment when suddenly everything makes sense. And for me, that's often the experience in, say, an escape room or indeed in any story that's got kind of a, a puzzle to it or any story that I'm deeply inside, when that linchpin comes down and you go, oh, God, we're in his memories. We've been in his memories this entire time. Everyone's just a reflection of, of who this guy is. It all makes sense now. Is is like uh, It's catharsis. And to put those pieces into place – or to give or to tell someone like, oh, by the way, the cathartic moment is this. So just just be on the lookout for the cathartic moment. Um, f- feels like a deep violation. Um, and and yeah, like and at the same time, you gotta attract people into the this stuff, particularly when it's not as easy as saying something like sleep no more uh, or something that's got a branded thing on a, on an escape room. It's easy, right? If I tell someone, if I tell someone, oh, hey, Universal's the mummy. It's got an escape room. I'm gonna know not to go. <laughs> uh, but if someone tells me, uh, if someone tells me like, oh, you know, it's um, it's 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 an expanse escape room. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be first in line, right? You know, do I get magnetic boots? Um, you know that sort of stuff. Uh, but if 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 someone says like oh yeah like this piece is really emotional you're so gonna feel like you fell in love, then it sets this weird expectation. It's like then it's like oh right prove it to me 
prove to me that you can actually make me feel this thing that I'm expecting. All the things that we're talking about, I keep coming back to this article that I had read years ago. Um, It's from 2011 in Wired Magazine. And after we spoke, I went and dug it up. Uh, It's by a guy named uh, Jonah Lear. um, And it came out in August of 2011. And basically, it talks about how spoilers don't spoil anything. Um, That there had been this um, university study um, at UC San Diego where a whole bunch of people were given um, different different stories, mostly like classic stories. And some of them had been augmented a little bit. So like there was a spoiler that was embedded in the writer's own um, in, in the writer's own style in the early pages of the uh, of the piece. So it would be like, you know, like like Agatha Christie is spoiling her own story for you. You wouldn't really, you wouldn't have known if you didn't, if you hadn't already read the story. Uh, And what they found is that generally people got more enjoyment out of the spoiled um, version than the unspoiled version. Now, not a massive amount of, of enjoyment difference in most of these cases, Uh, but the general conclusions that they drew were that, um, a, f- a few things. One was that spoilers are only a modern phenomenon. Um, up until very recently, and this this article, and I, it's probably disputable, but this article put the usual suspects as the first um, example of modern fiction with like a heavy spoilable twist. Yeah, that seems really suspect to me. It's it's suspect, <laughs> but I, I will, I will get, what I will grant them is that by and large. The history of storytelling has been built around, you know, very common patterns of Greek tragedy and recurring character archetypes and very predictable endings. Like nobody was ever going to be able to spoil the end of a John Wayne Western. You know, it's not possible to spoil that ending. You know exactly what will happen. Um, you know what's going to happen in, you know, uh, you know, up until very recently, really up until the 80s, you would always know what was going to happen at the end of a superhero story, always. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, Frank Miller and Alan Moore started saying, yeah, let's just have really messed up, up stuff happen. Um, and then even then, comic books are still formulaic enough that you know that if someone dies, they're going to come back. You know it. So there's a lot of fiction that is definitely unspoilable. Um, you know, if you were to go and tell someone, yep, at the end of the dark night, the Joker's going to lose. It's like, all right, that's not a spoiler. Um, when it comes to emotions, when it comes to immersive moments, that's spoilable. Uh, and one of the things that, I, you know, Noah, you and I were talking about, and this is where my issue is, when it comes to spoilers in, in immersive games is that if you and I go to play an escape room together and you decide you want to find out all this, you know, everything that happens. Um, and I don't, you go in with a knowledge imbalance that affects how you play um, and what you do. And that will affect me versus if you and I decide we're going to go see a movie together and you go and read up all of the spoilers and you know, the full plot. And we both sit there in silence, taking in the movie your knowledge has no effect on my experience. We both get to experience the thing that we wanted. Um, this is, you know, the the major issue that I see in escape rooms, and it, and it's further compounded by 
um, games that allow more people in than they really ought to games that are, you know, the fact that most escape rooms in the U S at least, um, are, have public ticketing. Um, we've heard stories about people who ended up in rooms, um, with players who had already done the game. In fact, it actually happened to us one time. Um, and that's probably a funny story we should tell. My nightmare scenario is, is always being in an escape room with randos. Like I just, like I don't need social anxiety on top of <laughs> whatever whatever the anxiety of of the room is. Like I'm I'm I go to an escape room with the hopes of experiencing a very specific form of anxiety and do not want. Oh, now I've got to figure out who the hell this stranger is, uh, and do that emotional labor. Uh, not not something. Definitely hard if if. The escape room's gag is, you know, uh, a plant or something like that. Like then it's impossible. You got to have randos, but still, just not something I'd I'd want to do. Um, let's let's hold that story for a moment because I wanted to ask Michael something here, which is from the point of view of of an ARG designer. Um, what are what are some of the the, the pathways or or surmountable challenges that that someone who wants to have to take these moments and turn them into hooks back into the work, what are some of the lessons that have been learned over the years about this sort of, you know, um, process of, you know, the second and third layers of people talking about a thing, particularly since oftentimes in an ARG, there might be either an event or a puzzle track that, you know, just a few people wind up engaging with and kind of bringing back to the collective and saying, here's what we did. Here's how we learned. Here's what we learned. And, and they managed to communicate the pertinent information. So I I think one of the biggest lessons that you can learn from alternate reality games along those lines, and again, because we tend to be more of the real-time storytelling where we need to get everybody up to date with what is happening right now, it's a little bit different. But one of the biggest lessons is that you can trust the players. You just need to give them both things to talk about that are safe and space to talk about that. So um, one of the best examples that parallels into immersive theater and uh, escape rooms is um, there's um, a company um, that made a product called The Black Watchman, where you go onto Steam and you are buying a ready-to-play alternate reality game portioned out into chapter-based challenges. Some of it may have you do social engineering where you're sending out emails to companies to get auto-responses. Some of it may be going through and solving ciphers, but you have an experience that is replayable as an individual. Um, They have a player forum where the players who have been through the experience can go in and offer tips and suggestions and guide people through to the path of what they need to know where they're making a conscious choice of saying, no, I want that information. And if you really want the full solve, if you go onto YouTube, there's a couple YouTubers who have gone through and they've streamed their experiences of of solving the puzzles so you can see the answers. Um, That is one of the routes that rather than fighting the fact that, oh my goodness, we can't have people talking about it, You both carve out spaces so that if people wanted to be talking about this, they have the chance to uh, talk about it and regroup if they don't have the chance to go to a bar after going through the experience themselves. 
And just as importantly, you build in narrative and experiential hooks so that you can give players something exciting to talk about that won't ruin it for everyone else. So uh, in my Twitter rant, one of the examples that I um, pulled up was there's a Kickstarter campaign that uh, that recently concluded for a game called uh, The Wilson Wolf Affair. And The Wilson Wolf Affair is a puzzle experience in a box. To get ready for that puzzle experience in a box that's going to be highly personable, they created a communal game that everybody could work together, experience together, play together, that showcased the type of their thinking and the type of how they approach problems, uh, which for me, the thing that I can't stop talking about is they created a pumpkin-based zoetrope where you spin this carved pumpkin and you're seeing an animated figure once you get the right rotational speed. Amazing, brilliant. Wait, 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 wait. hold on. I can't believe hold they on. did that. Um, pumpkin base. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how did you con- uh, connect with it? Was it, was it a, a, a 3D model of a pumpkin base zoetrope or was it an actual physical object? Uh, so... They actually carved a physical pumpkin zoetrope that was lit inside, and when you spin it, you are seeing the animation. And then they recorded a video of that and put it up on uh, Twitter, Facebook, their Kickstarter campaign, so that you could see this thing that they created. Nice. It's really cool. And it is a gorgeous thing that they created. Okay. But um, when it comes to escape rooms, when it comes to immersive theater... That's where, like, a, a lot of times you'll go to a, um, escape room conferences or just regular conferences, and you'll see the escape room booths will have a two-minute puzzle, a five-minute puzzle. Those aren't just ways of showing people, look, puzzles are fun. Those are ways of showing off what you can do in a way that actually let people talk about what you can do. That if you can give people those small moments, those are so powerful. Uh, Steve uh, Steve Peters at No Mimes Media created a 10-minute ARG partially to showcase, hey, you can do this type of thing in 10 minutes, but also because it was something that he could break apart and show, hey, people, talk about this um, mime kidnapping story that I created. And this is something that is not showing off what No Mimes does on the large scale, but does give you a taste of something that you can actually talk about on the small scale because it's accessible and it gives people that window into things. So this is where we get on the lens of part of it falls on the creators from the creative standpoint, you can create moments that are safer to share that will get people excited. I think that's one of the key things going on here is that if players passion needs to be beat down in order for you to preserve your your product that's that's a massive mistake it's like you think back to you know to the, the Napster era and all of these bands and record labels and the and the RIAA suing the very most passionate music fans cuz that's that's those were the people who were downloading music you're literally going oh, after God, yeah because they didn't go for the company they went after the people right, yeah right and that's that's the thing is that, and I think Michael is really on to something with this is that if you can't communicate about the game at all um, because you know, while while you're passionate about it then there's nothing to talk about 
And then, and then you lose your best form of marketing. And that's, and that compiles one of the things that drives us absolutely insane. As careful as we are about spoilers, the thing that is just crazy in a lot of these escape rooms are the volume of companies that don't want to have photos, any photos taken of anything in their games. Uh, And this is presenting a really significant problem. Um, One, because you have companies who have really ugly games and they're throwing up these, you know, these epic 3D rendered images of like their apocalypse game. And then you go in and it's an, it's an office with a desk and, and, and a, and a worn out couch that has some questionable stains on it. And like, this is, this is freaking disgusting. And, yeah, and six Sudoku puzzles. Right. And like, yeah. that's the whole game. And then you have these <laughs> other companies, you know, that have built these epic mind-blowing environments that are just so easy to photograph and like one look at them and you're like yeah that's the place i want to go i want to go play that game and they're like no these are trade secrets it's like what's the secret you want people to give you money to come play your game and you have this magnificent asset that doesn't really give anything away other than you're highly skilled like show that shit off yeah no, I mean, just just uh, like in the theater world, like 90% of of the collateral that's sent is uh, a badly designed flyer um, that often has every bit of information about the show humanly imaginable, sometimes even quotes from other publications. And that's the only image given. Uh, to a website to use for promotion. And it's like, I can't use this. And the number of times, like when I'm sitting down with like, you know, and, and I'll, and I don't talk to, this is not just like enthusiast press, like, you know, other like professional, professional bloggers, professional journalists. And we'll just sit there going like, Oh God, don't send us the flyer, you know, just like give us some pretty pictures because the only way you're going to get people to click on our article or our news peg about your thing is if there's a pretty picture that makes someone go, Ooh, what's that? They're not going to look at the headline. Maybe if there's a keyword that catches them, it is like, like, 90% 90% of the time, it's going to be a pretty picture. And then the other 10% of the time are people who probably already know who you are uh, because they see your name. And that's it, right? And if you think about it from the point of view of, say, celebrity culture, why does celebrity culture work? It's because, oh, here's a pretty picture of a person I recognize. Like, this is not brain surgery. And the fact that those assets aren't out there makes it impossible for us to learn new people into these experiences. Uh, so yeah. one oh, of ahead. the things that we just got on stage at Up the Game in the Netherlands, the, the big European escape room conference, one of the things that we were talking about there is authorship um, and naming of escape rooms, which escape rooms have not Im- really embraced um, in, in authorship and saying this was a game designed by you know, such and such company. Um, there are escape room designers out there, quite a few of them, where if their name is on the game, or if I know that they're involved, take my money. I, yeah, we're, I want we're going. Uh, and that's that's not happening. And this this is crazy. Michael, there's there's kind of an analog in ARGs. Are there like what's the state of affairs in terms of authorships authorship in ARGs right now? 
So with alternate reality games, we have had improvement in that space where uh, I've actually gotten in a number of fights about discussions of what this is not a game actually means. But um, earlier on in alternate reality gaming history, part of what this is not a game was interpreted to mean is you do not say who's behind it. You do not reveal who is creating this until after the experience is over. Um, to such an extent that uh, whenever 42 Entertainment was creating a uh, project, I knew that one of my shortcuts to finding was it actually them was to write them an email, say, listen, did you make that? And if their response was no comment, yeah, they probably did. Um, we've evolved from that. <laughs> and it was so crazy because a lot of times like I have the who is information that's saying, listen, it's your domains. You've got this registered in there. You're using the same Google Analytics tracking you did on these other uh, campaigns. No, no comment. Uh, but for the most part, we have moved past that to an extent that when it's a corporate sponsored game, you usually won't be hearing the um, name behind the campaign. But when it's something that is bespoke when it's something that's created by a specific team you usually will have that answer of okay uh these are the guys who are creating this one because and this gets to the final point of what this creation conversation looks like one of your best moments of being able to talk about what you did is when everything finished because then you can hit people with fear of missing out. They can say, oh my goodness, that entire thing that you did sounds so wonderful, not just the first three days that were used to get your initial player base. Which kind of brings us to the, the meta question I have for us, which is how do we help create spaces for people to talk about this stuff in ways that, because, because people are always going to be coming to at least the, the persistent stuff, they're going to be coming at different s stages or they're going to be coming with different levels of knowledge. This idea that like the needs of people who have played a game or seen a show are quite different from the needs of people who are merely curious or who haven't heard of the experience. And then with, with ARGs, particularly because I think – they happen in real time, but just the idea that there can be instanced, right? When you were talking about that thing you can get on Steam, you know, this 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 notion and there's there's some analog here in saying like in video games, right? You know, like you're playing a video game, a video game unspools in time. Um, you can go onto YouTube generally and watch the whole game get played if you don't want to have any agency, or you can wind up going in and if you're stuck in a certain part, watching a video and just be like, which pixel am I supposed to, you know, click on? Uh, whether that click on is shooting or just literally clicking on, um, in order to like solve this puzzle that I can't freaking figure out because I want to, you know, unfold the story, Breath of the Wild. Um, how do we? How do we? You know, what, what would? Be, what would be like the ideal scenario for, I don't know, is it forums? Is, you know, is that the right 
way to be thinking about this stuff? Like how do, how do we create these like sort of levels of initiation? I'm, I'm getting this vision of like, you know, <laughs> the hermetic order of the golden dawn of like, you know, like, you know, first degree equals 10th degree, second degree equals ninth degree, you know, uh, you know, this level of secrets and now you've opened up this new track to talk about now that you have this language uh, to, to engage with. Well, one of the things that we've been encouraging escape rooms to do for a long time is to um, join forces, partner, cross-refer, whatever, to a bar or restaurant or cafe in their area and to help build local relationships that way, but to have a place where when players come out of the game, they say, you know, you you can't talk about this in in our lobby because this other team is waiting to go in, but like here's a coupon to get a drink next door and foster that. I came out of the experience and I want to keep talking about it. And that's an easy win. Yeah, we also, we, we get a lot of emails because uh, people don't necessarily want to communicate this in public forums, but they do want to talk about games. They do want to write back and say, hey, you mentioned this thing in, our, in, in your review. We didn't see that. Or did you mean this? Or, you know, I think our experience has changed. We get a lot of um a lot of emails and a lot of communication from people who want to talk about these games. We also get blatant spoiler emails from people about games that they think we've played. Like um, oh. in this, oh, no. the basement and palace games, um, both in California, one in San Francisco, one out, out, one in LA. Those are the two most spoiled games ever for us. People didn't realize that we live in New York and it was, you know, a flight across the country to play those games. They just assume because they were well-known games, we would have played them. Yeah, but I, I knew you know that part large... in the basement where <laughs> you're like, yeah. <laughs> but I, I knew a large part of the basement's first game. I mean, so much so that when I went and played it, almost nothing was a surprise to me. Now, I still think that that game did a lot of really cool stuff, and I don't necessarily think that it did much to diminish the experience. I certainly had a little bit less fear because I was anticipating some of the larger story beats, but you can watch that entire game, almost, almost all of it. And certainly all of the high points on YouTube, um, geek and sundry had Felicia day and, uh, whole bunch of other famous nerds run through that game and you can see the whole thing. Um, Yeah, that's, but, that was the question I was going to ask you is like how much – how many how many escape rooms have been like live streamed by the Nerdorati at this point? Very, very few. Um, mm. Very few. That's one of the only ones that I can think of that is like famous or in this you know upper echelon of famous companies. They're one of the few that have actually done it. Um, I personally suspect that it has contributed to their success and to their notoriety. Um you know, some of the stuff that you see in that in, in that YouTube video kind of adds to the infamy and and, and mystique of the company. Uh, I kind of wish that more escape room companies would put out a little bit more. I think that it would help them. I think it would help the industry at large. Um, and I wish it wasn't just the horror ones because it's a lot of the ones that have streamed have mm-hmm. been on the scarier side. Um, like the basement was on, uh, they were on the bachelor bachelorette. I, I can't remember, but like everyone we knew who watched that show blew up our phones that night when it was, when it aired, but they, we they, found out who we know who watches that show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and they, for that recording, they amped up the fear of an already intense game and they had like live snakes and, and 
you know, and uh, spiders and stuff in in this in the game, which is not something that happens in real life. And I think that this stuff is kind of unfortunate because now people are like, oh, well, you know, escape rooms are terrifying. I don't want to go and do that. Or, you know, I think that there are games that are intense and interesting without being overwhelmingly, you know, fearful that could benefit by painting a better picture for the non-player community. Well, I think there's something, you know, the basement's an interesting case because Caden's got multiple games set in a in the same story world he's got a couple of you know there's there's the las vegas instance of the 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 show show the 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 rooms and he doesn't um he he's able to benefit from like giving a little bit of it away and then getting people interested enough and c- carrying on whereas i think of something like you know the 60 out folks you know they've got a, a you know a variety of different games you know if you come and play you know one of them uh, or if you were to stream one of them you wouldn't necessarily then go like oh that world is like something interesting to me let me go like see what the next let me go play that because i've seen it or even like oh i've seen that one let me go do the next three chapters of it it would be like no it's a completely different scenario so i've got no connection to it there, there um, are other companies though that do have games built in a singular world, but I don't think you need that. I think what what the benefit of having some, you know, streamed games is that it lets you connect to the game. It lets you stop and think, oh, I could do this. You know, as you watch someone doing something that you know is wrong, and you're like, oh, please, come on, just, you know, you just have to turn it 90 degrees. You got this. Like, just, just turn it, you know? And as soon as you, as a viewer, start looking at a game and saying, I could do this, you know, then it changes the nature of it. it. You can eliminate some of the the fear associated with it, because um, a lot of play, a lot of people who haven't played, we know it because we, we speak to them. They're they're afraid. They're afraid that they're going to be claustrophobic, which is almost a non-issue. In, in in there's one or two games we've ever played where claustrophobia would really truly be an issue for most people. Um, we've played with claustrophobic people who have been like, oh no, this is this is fine. There are people who are fearful that that you know. This, this idea of um, I'm being locked in a room and, you know, like, what what's going to happen? Are they going to do something bad to me? It's like, of course they're not going to do something bad to you. They're an insured business and they don't want you to sue them into oblivion. Like, what do you think this is? Um, and there's people who are afraid that they're not going to be smart enough. Um, and if they saw a video of how things went, they might have a lot more confidence in being smarter than the people who were doing it in the video, at least at one moment. Or at least realizing that, yeah, this is an intellectual challenge, but it's not something that is so appallingly daunting that, you know, I needed to have graduated from MIT to participate. Well, and the sad thing is we actually do have a model that there's absolutely demand for this type of vicarious experience where um, I, I religiously listen to Escape This Podcast. I love it. I am not one of the people who will go online and join a chat group to try to solve along with the show. It's something that I get to experience. And because we're already trusting people who have paid and played the game to not spoil things, how much harder is it to turn around and say, okay, for the people who are making a conscious, intentional decision to watch this, we're going to stream the game. And if you really want to add more of a barrier to that so that they feel invested in it, guess what? Streaming escape rooms can be another revenue stream. 
There are some rooms in New York, San Francisco, I'm never going to get the chance to do. Um, so they're not going to get the 30, 35 bucks out of me, but I probably pay $5 to watch that. I think that's absolutely dead on. And we've tried to, we've spoken to owners who were closing games that we held in high regard. And I was like, look, just get some YouTube streamers, you know, get a Twitch streamer, get someone in there, you know, and have them play, play the final game, you know, let them add to, you know, let this be marketing. You're closing the game. It doesn't exist anymore. So use this to propel your reputation. Use this to propel escape rooms. And there's not a lot of it going on. Again, the basement, and I, you know, I, I really got to hand it to him for having the, you know, the foresight to do this right. You know, they did that when they closed uh, the boiler room, which was my favorite of their original three. Um, it's been replaced by the elevator shaft, which is my new favorite of theirs. Um, but I, I was so happy when they had streamed that game. I just thought that this is how a good escape room should be closed down. Yeah, there's definitely there's there's definitely something to the idea of making sure that there's just like a historical record to it, right? I mean, one of the things when it comes to the theater side of things is that we find ourselves, um, you know, seeing a show that has a very limited run um, just kind of disappear into the aether. And there's always a chance that someone can come back and remount the show. But even then, a remount is going to have differences, right? Like you've probably torn certain sets apart. You may have to recast a role. You might have to restage it in a totally different environment and adapt it. Um, And of course, some of the challenges that a 2D video isn't going to be the same thing. So I know people are approaching it, you know, with... 360 cameras with, you know, heavy duty uh, photogrammetry in order to capture the sets. You know, we're, we're far from the ideal scenario, which would have, you know, been, um, you know, a, a Lytra 360 camera drop down into the middle of a scenario and let people, you know, kind of move around the space. But, um, you know, maybe we'll get there one day so we can have virtual holodeck versions of this stuff. Uh, we're not that far away from it. Um, but there's this, there's often this palpable sense to me of loss of like, it's, it's gone now. And all I'm left with are my words. That's Time Run um, in London right now, which is arguably the most famous escape room in the world. They have just closed their two games because their entire facility, not just their facility, their, the, like the neighborhood that their, that their facility was in was torn down to build, I think, luxury flats. Oh, good. Lent to um, need more of those. Yeah. So two two of the finest escape rooms that I've ever encountered are gone, and you could feel like that there is there is like a difference between you know when you, when you're speaking to people in the Netherlands at that conference, it was like oh you got to go play it. I really wish I did. And then those of us who had gotten to play it, you know, who were kind of like you know feeling really good about it because this these are masterfully designed games. Now maybe they will get brought back. Maybe someone will buy them or maybe time run will open up you know open it up somewhere else but for the time being they're gone well uh, but that does also put us in the position where uh, we need to remember that usually theater is used as the example of not everything needs to have that record that recording and that people's experiences themselves 
are worth something. It's just we need to put people in the position of feeling comfortable and knowing when they can have those conversations. So for me, uh, especially with immersive theater, from what I've been hearing, a lot of it is so driven by those one-on-one interactions. I would love to hear oral histories of people's experiences going through with enough of a divide that people can feel safe that it's not people who are gaming the system to win. It's they just want to find out what was happening from other angles that um, with immersive theater, you have many more branching experiences of what you can be going through with alternate reality games, with um, uh, escape rooms. It's a little bit more linear, but the example that I always go to for the puzzle side of things is the MIT mystery hunt, because even though it is a linear experience for puzzles, there's so much of it out there that if anyone goes through and gets 10% of the experience during the weekend, they're insanely lucky. And talented. And so they will have that online repository of all the stuff that happened so that maybe I spent the three days going through the puzzle myself. I'll take another two days to look through and see all of the interesting stuff that I missed based on people's recommendations of you need to check out these puzzles. These are the ones that are a little bit more um, designed for entry level puzzlers. Give it a look. And I think about um, when David and I went to see Ghost Light in New York City. And before we went to see it, you know, someone had said, you're going to end up together if you don't do this. And we were like, oh, we need to figure out how to split ourselves up, even though we have two tickets that were purchased together and we're going to show up at the same time because that way we'll see as m- much of the experience as we can. And we're, we were so glad that we got that tip um, and split ourselves up and went through the show completely separately from one another because um, our experience was better for the fact that we had a long conversation reconciling our two experiences after the fact. And oh boy, was that a long conversation. Yeah, and that's one of the interesting things about design in, in immersive theater or any immersive experience, the fact that you can have multiple tracks and that you can deliberately design for the conversation, right? I mean, there's some places that, you know, they they intentionally leave the space, like the, the productions themselves, although it can feel forced, you know, particularly if you didn't enjoy it to like at the end of it, it's like, oh, now you guys can like stay here, hang out and talk about what just happened. And as someone who has like a hard rule since my theater performing days of like, I do not talk about the production in the house. It doesn't matter if I enjoyed it or if I hated it. Could be the best thing I ever saw. Could have been me just trying to figure out how to gnaw my leg out of the trap and 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 leap away. I'm not going to talk about it in the theater. It's just I don't violate the magic circle that way. Um, but making sure it's 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 just something that's interesting that can be played with. I do keep coming back as you guys were talking there to this this idea of you know, one of the things about about you know initiation or about magical secret societies or indeed about say the study of science or the study of of any like sufficiently complex humanity is subject uh, humanity is definitely sufficiently complex um, is that. You kind of get in you, as you get trained in something, as you begin to understand, you you it's not 
in in the occult thing you level up, but in other disciplines you indeed you deepen your understanding, you start to get concepts, and then you're able to talk about stuff uh, that you might not have been able to really understand or even perceive before. And there's something about these these experiences that they can have sufficiently rich worlds or sufficiently complex ideas running around in them where it's almost like safe's the wrong word but it's it's almost safe to have someone hearing people talk about something and they'll have just no clue what's going on unless they're already been initiated unless they've already gone through the experience and indeed sometimes when i encounter args that's exactly what i feel like they're talking about it's like it's like trying to drop in on a soap opera in the you know fifth season of particularly like a sci-fi soap opera and you're just like oh, i don't know who any of these people are i don't know what these terms they're using are and this indeed is something that people have always you know tossed at say you know, comic books as being one of the the problems. It's like you you pick up a random issue of X Men, you pick up a random issue of the Flash, and you'll have no clue what's going on, um, and and yet that's also a, kind of a, a defense mechanism for for the 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 societies, the cultures that grow around those those pieces of intellectual property. The thing with, you know, to kind of pull this back around to kind of what started this discussion about what is a spoiler in an escape room. And it's, it's a very muddy, very difficult question to answer. Um, Is a trap, you know, is knowing that the trap door there is in the room, is that a spoiler? If, you know, my, my opinion is if the trap door is really well hidden, it is a spoiler to find out about it. If it, you can see light bleeding, you know, around the edge of a bookcase and you can see hinges. I don't know. I don't necessarily think that's a spoiler. Um, but some people would think that's a spoiler because they're never going to notice those things. Right. Um, but, you know, back to this theater analogy that, you know, that we keep kind of bouncing back and forth to, um, you know, theater is interesting, um, especially, especially popular theater um, and musicals because you do end up with cast recordings and Lisa and I had a really interesting pair of experiences seeing Hamilton. The first time we went to see Hamilton, uh, the show had just opened and nobody knew any of it yet. There were no recordings available and everybody sitting in the theater was seeing it for the very first time. We got it before all the tickets you know, skyrocketed through the roof. A, fr- a friend of mine had been... Uh, in a band with the musical director of Hamilton. And he kind of gave me a tip that this is going to be huge. So we just got tickets. And then, well, well, and then in, in seeing that first viewing um, it was magical. And it was also very challenging because the speed and pace of the show and the way that it's performed, it's very difficult to keep up with. So if you, you know, I was paying really close attention. I got most of the show, but certainly not all of it. And we missed jokes and we missed, lines and stuff and just nuance and nuance just because it goes so fast even though we knew the story right. but the second time we saw it we stumbled into normal priced tickets um not a story worth telling um and what was really strange about that second showing was that the cast recording had already been out for some time everyone in the audience whether they were seeing for the first time or not knew all of the major story beats they knew all of the jokes and that led to something that I absolutely hated, uh, which was that 
the audience was laughing at jokes before they were said and landed, which drives me up the wall. <laughs> uh, Might as well Rocky Horror it at that point. It, you know? Exactly, exactly. It was very strange, and it was very strange difference from the first time that we saw it. Um, and so I guess that's kind of what I – that's an example of people's foreknowledge of of the you know, of the performance – of the show affecting the people around them. And I think that that's where, when I stop to think about spoilers, when I stop to think about my role in an escape room as a teammate, um, you know, Lisa and I are really, really good at spotting trap doors. We're really good at anticipating puzzles. We've seen enough of this stuff that we- We have this look where we look at each other because we both know exactly how this room is going to play out. And in the very early days when we were very competitive about this, we would point out everything to our teammates like, oh, that's going to be a trap door. Uh, and then we realized that we were ruining that moment for the players on our team who didn't realize that. And so mm. what we think about when we write our reviews, what we think about when we're in a game as players is how do we behave that will, that will help our team, that will help, you know, help the team succeed, help everybody have fun, help players find the right games for them without ruining or detracting or otherwise damaging the moments that we think are going to leave an impression on them. Michael, how does that competitive slash collaborative uh, you know, veteran versus novice dynamic play out in ARGs? So I think uh, part of it goes back to the fact that um, when people tackle alternate reality games, there's much more of a reliance on I can't do this alone so that people are going in expecting to be more of a follower for it. So a lot of it is based on, around the idea of almost um, blatant transparency, where when you find something, you share something. But um, especially in the earlier days of the forums, one of the ways that you can moderate your way through that is by adding that intentionality element to it, where uh, you have spoiler tags and for certain elements of the puzzle, it will get shared. It will get shared as soon as it gets solved. But you as the reader, as a viewer, are choosing whether you want to see it or whether you want to go alone or have a little bit of help. And for me, that is really the key of a lot of our discussions about spoilers is it, it's not about how do we keep this information from getting out there. It's how do we make sure that people are exposed to it because of their choice? Absolutely. And yeah, from, from the escape room uh, example, sometimes that means that when you're working with other people, you need to give them the room to have that choice. Yeah. And in, in, in the theater setup, more often than not, what we're looking at are, you know, issues around content advisories, right? Because you, you, and, and trigger warnings, um, because some people cannot, you know, like they, they will check out, you know, like if they, if they knew that a show involved sexual violence, or if they knew that a show was going to just, 
you know, be be about a particular type of traumatic experience, even on a thematic level, they would not choose to go experience that. And there's other folks who literally do not care. Or they they might be comfortable and they might be comfortable with the surprise of it happening there. But even when I'm going to like normal theater, like a friend of mine years ago had a show and about, you know, halfway through it involved uh, a pretty – like the, the, the motivation for the male lead was a pretty violent fridging. Um, and, you know, granted it was a show about werewolves, but I was s- sitting there and going, you know – Nothing in the marketing materials um, noted that this was going to be a thing. And I was very, very happy that I hadn't invited a friend of mine who was an assault survivor along to see the show because I know that I would have felt her blood run cold. Uh, you know, at that part of the show. and then I and then it, I would have felt guilty uh, that I hadn't you know navigated us away from that. Um, and so much so that, like you know, it actually threw me out of of the show. Like, it, it, you know, one of those weird things where I start, you know, if I'm not if I'm not enough into the experience for like whatever it is, I start th- you know thinking about the 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 meta context of what I'm watching because it hasn't managed to turn that part of my brain off. And all I then spend the time thinking is like, wow, you know, this this feels like a deep miscalculation on the parts of of the creators. But knowing knowing that you've got to find a way to navigate so that you're not you're not driving people um, you're not driving people nuts by like you know laying out the whole case the whole you know apologia for for a piece of work, but empowering them to find it if they want it. And then if anyone's got a problem with the fact that it exists at all, well then that's on them. You know, it's one of the reasons why I love Invisotex or spoiler tags. You know, and one reason I'm deeply frustrated with the way Medium works because you can't do Invisotex or spoiler tags. So one of my favorite examples of people walking that spoiler line is actually going into traditional publishing. There's a, a company called Fireside Fiction and they have a model where at the front of every book or the front of every um, uh, journal publication they do, they will give you the notice that, hey, we're going to have our content warnings in the back of the book. If you want to seek that out, you will get the reassurance of which stories are okay, which ones you won't, because we know some of you need that. If you don't want to see that, keep on reading. Don't worry about it. And even when you're talking about giving people that context, there's still ways to work in that element of choice where as long as they know it's there, uh, it Practically, it's probably going to be like a terms of service and privacy policies. Nobody reads it. But if you know it's there and you know you can go there, that in itself is reassurance. One of the things that we've introduced, we added a spoiler box, an expandable spoiler box um, a few months ago. And it's it's been a thing that we really like to have. We don't use it all that regularly. Um, but there are times where we decide that something is fair game to write about so long as the player decides that they want to know. And so we use it. Other things that we have no problem spoiling at all is things like ladders or stairwells in the game um, that aren't bypassable. Um, these are things that we will absolutely put in a notice that you need to have, you know, you need to 
be mobile to to play the game. Um, you know, another um, another important thing that we found really early on was that a good portion of our readers are parents who bring their um, preteen or even younger children to escape rooms. And there's this thing in escape rooms that some friend of ours coined suddenly yeah, Satan. Yeah, Dan Agnar. Oh, it's Dan Agnar. Suddenly Satan. You go into this suddenly office. Suddenly Satan office. standing beside you. <laughs> yeah. Don't need, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you go into this room that's so mundane and then you open the trap door and oh gosh, blood, guts, horror. Yeah, blood and, and antigrams and everything. And that, that was, it's less common now. It used to be a really normal escape room trope where it was like first room is fine and boring second room is just a bloodbath and i've 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 been in more than one one of those rooms and and i've truly enjoyed it like there's there's a room out here that you know it actually it's actually got a kind of a three-stager it's like the first room is like this is kind of boring and then the second room you're like this is sort of weird and if you look through a grate you're like guys uh there's something really screwed up on the other side of this door. Uh, and I love, I love, I love that, but I can imagine someone having like a 13 year old and they're like, Oh, this is going to be great. And then next thing you know, uh, they, they just birthed themselves a heavy metal fan and they're like, why did I do that? <laughs> it, and that's, that's well, the thing. It comes, and this comes down to a larger question. That's probably a different episode, which is consent. Uh, and that's, I really, I'm fine with having experiences that go off the rails. Um, we know that if you're bringing kids, you're not going to want to do want to have that. We have readers who we know are are very religious, and they're fine with a wide variety of experiences. But as soon as you introduce, you know, the dark occult or Satan or anything of of, of that nature, um, that's that's off the table. That's this is not a thing that they're willing to experience, and I don't think that they should be forced to. Um, so there are questions about how do you provide people with the twists and the wild experiences that you've architected in your mind while also making sure that people who physically can't handle the games that you've designed, they don't, you know, they don't meet the accessibility requirements or would have religious opposition to your game or have experienced something in their life that would make them suggest, you know, make them think, you know what, I'm going to play a different game, totally down to play escape rooms. Don't want to play that one. Uh, These are things that we should be able to, as a community, um, assist people with. And that's, and I, and I think the focus there is with the community. A lot of what we've been discussing so far is through the lens of reviewers, But remember that as creators, this is information that if you're hearing the reviewers are being asked time and time again, is this safe? Do I need to worry? Uh, We're not always going to be that lens. And there are ways to do it in very interesting fashions. There's an escape room in Philadelphia called Escape from the 80s, where they actually both on their website and on postcards in the introductory room will give you a map of the escape room because that's not their main thing and it's nice to know oh there's going to be four rooms you're going through just for timing purposes that that's a very casual version of it but when you're creating your websites when you're creating your marketing materials that are selling hey this is a thing that i'm doing 
that is a wonderful channel of not just going through and warning people, but also reassuring them of, hey, these are some things you don't need to worry about. Yeah. When I was back in my college theater days and there would be, you know, spoiler alerts or content advisories, you know, they were less about thematic stuff and it was more about like smoke effects, fog effects and gunshots. And I actually, you know, I'd walk by, you know, someone would have a show up, maybe one that I hadn't like heard much about. And like on the door was like a piece of paper, you know, you know, scotch taped up there that says like gunshot effect in this show. And I would always get annoyed because I'm like, oh great, now that I know there's a gun in this show. Now I know there's a gunshot. Someone's gonna get shot. Like I don't I didn't want to know that. It's gonna it's you know, if I didn't know the show already, if it wasn't one that I had read for school, one of the things that was fun was like walking in and like, I don't know this story. Tell me a story. And I was like, oh, okay, now I'm gonna be anticipating this moment. The way when I watch a film, you know, I'm anticipating the moments that were in the trailer and maybe come out very like an, uh, annoyed or confused when there's, you know, stuff that wasn't in the trailer uh, or stuff that was in the trailer that didn't make it into the movie, right? And like maybe don't find out that they deliberately changed it to like hide the surprise, which I actually think is fine. And I always thought that what would have been useful. Mind you, this is like pre-major internet days, right? Uh, we were we were basically using GeoCities. Uh, was was if there was just a book in the lobby or uh, at the ticket booth where when you walk up, you could there was like here's all the content advisories, and if you really want to know what's going to happen, if you want to know there's fog effects, if you want to know there's there's a gunshot, you know everyone knows. Go look at the book, and it'll tell you what's wrong quote unquote with the show from the point of view of people who like you know have issues with stuff um and for folks who are like just want to blithely jump in and be like we um they just like don't look at the book and the nice thing about the internet now is that we've got more subtle ways of doing that you know like a website can, you know, have the advertisement stuff and then like have like a nice juicy link of like, you know, here's the content advisories and either does the pop up the spoiler box like you've got, or it directs you to another page. Um, and it's everything that the creators can think of. And then I would say, you know, everything that the beta testers have encountered, you know, like the, one of the things about, you know, stuff that triggers is you don't know. And, and Odds are that if you're making something, you're, you know, unless you're deliberately like, I want this to disturb people, you probably don't know that it's going to disturb someone or throw them out of the experience or make them catatonic in the middle of the experience, all of which can happen. Um, and if you if you know that those are two effects, hope to God you're listening, listening, listing it somewhere because otherwise you're just trying to tempt. Otherwise you're running a creepy van. It's like, Oh, come here, children. I have candy. No, it's a, it's an evil clown. Um, that's, that's something, uh, you don't want to necessarily get a reputation for doing. You want to be like, Hey, ch come here, children. There's candy. Uh, and only have the people who want to find an evil clown or who who want to be scared in that exact way to jump in that van with you. Otherwise, uh, all kinds of you know, crazy stuff can happen. I mean, we didn't start listing contact advisories on No Persinium until I heard about someone going to a show and having an issue with someone holding their hand. And it was like one of the mildest shows 
you can possibly imagine. And I, I don't even mean that in like all like, oh, you know, they were just lightly like pushing people around. No, like it was just someone taking someone's hand. And this person had a major issue with someone touching them whatsoever. And my first reaction was like, oh God, really? And then my second reaction after talking to a few people was like, well, yeah, you know, this is going to be an issue for somebody and we got to design for it. We have to design for the, for the recalitrant. Um, if nothing else to just signal like, Hey, you, that's, that's you don't want to be here. We just want to make sure you, there's you just, so many games. There's like yeah. over 7,000 different escape rooms in the U S you don't have to go to the one that isn't going to fit you. And it's, it's a narrower field in, in immersive yeah. theater and probably an even narrower th- uh, field when it comes to augmented reality games. But when it comes to escape rooms, it's like, all right, you're in New York. We think this game is really good, but you shouldn't play it if you, you know, don't want to play in darkness. And it's like, all right, well, there's there's five other amazing games out there that could, you know, are on on a similar level that would meet meet the need of excellent escape room and not do that thing that you don't want. Yeah. All right. I feel like maybe we've flogged this horse. Um, we have we did tease a story that I feel like we should probably close out with because it is pretty decent. Okay, okay. I'll, 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 what's tell me the story? All right. So a couple of years ago, Ford ran a promotional escape room in New York. Uh, they worked with Escape the Room and rented a massive space uh, across the street from Penn Station, like massive, massive warehouse. And this was to promote their vehicle, the Ford Escape. Um, and this game, God, that's such a marketing world idea. It is. And we, it was free. We went to it and we were expecting this to be terrible. Um, it turned out to be actually really cool. Uh, it involved driving the car around between four different sets where you were basically living out some bizarre hipster fantasy of a day that also had puzzles laced throughout it. Um, well, that is that is a bizarre hipster yeah. fantasy of the day. I mean, yeah. there's that whole Silver Lake movie uh, that's coming that looks like it's basically a living ARG, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, that. so the, the thing was we showed up and it was just Lisa and I, and this was for teams of four, uh, or at least up to four. So we approached the sign-up booth and tell them we're here to play. And they pass us through to this other booth where there's two women waiting. And um, we and get... they're waiting for teammates because neither one of them has a driver's license. So they can't go by themselves. Which yeah. is another question about why they were running this in New York City where tons of people don't have driver's this, licenses. This really but... should have been in LA. <laughs> but anyway. But that aside. Um, they couldn't get the permits in yeah. LA is what it came down to. Yeah. yeah. So we, we get up there and it's at this point that I do my normal thing where I try to, you know, pull someone aside from the staff and explain that, you know, we're from roomescapeartist.com. We're going to be doing a review. Is it possible to get some photos? Um, and upon hearing this, the two women who we were meeting up with, like, just like start salivating. I mean, who are being put into our group. Yeah. We're not meeting up with them. These two women are being put into our group. Yeah. <laughs> like We've never met them before. Yeah. So one of them kind of like <laughs> comes up beside me and puts her arm around me, um, which wasn't particularly oh comfortable and whispers like we're gonna win I, you know and i'm like why and she's like i played this already and i'm like hell no so we turn to the people at the booth and we're like look we're reviewers we you know we really want to experience this as it was meant to be we can't play this with someone who has 
already experienced it and her and she gets really defensive and you know and and the staff they're like no problem lady you're gonna have to wait for another group her friend has been sitting there silently and is just like she's played already but i haven't and lisa and i are just like this woman is full of shit there's we know that she is not she just threw her friend under the bus because she wants to play with reviewers yeah and, oh and we look at the staff and the staff are just like dead in the eyes and they're just like, okay, you three go. And I'm like, whatever. So we, we get in, we get our briefing, we get into the car, we drive to the first um, puzzle room and the woman who has joined our group immediately just starts like auto solving the room. And it's clear she knows exactly what to go for. And I give her um, oh a death glare. And she backs off, and um, we we go about spending the rest of the game solving solving the puzzles and doing it right. And you know, this this woman basically just didn't participate, which was not a thing that I really wanted to do. Like I would have loved to have had you know strangers who were new to the game and were you know would actually be viable teammates to play with. But this was um, a really weird experience where, if given the opportunity, this lady would have spoiled the entire game for us on our team and if i hadn't intervened she would have been proud of it and thought that she was helping us yeah it's a really interesting piece of psychology that i don't entirely understand right like it's fulfilling some sort of need that um there, there's yeah. also all of these stories, and I don't know whether they're all true or one of them was true, and they've all kind of spawned a whole bunch of different offshoots of um, like the legend of the guy who keeps bringing new first dates to the same escape room. <laughs> I, I know, I know an owner who's, who's, who's you know, Michael, go for it. What? So I, I haven't been first date guy, but I did end up inadvertently being that woman who did the room before because, uh, again, with Escape the Room, um, they did a promotional 30-minute room called The Dig, yeah, the Dig. to set the stage for the, uh, for the TV show. And then I signed up later for a – that was the 30-minute. I signed up for a 60-minute experience that uh, everything that I was read, reading said, oh, it's completely different. Um, it's, it's about no, the twice as rooms were exactly the same and then things started changing but I needed to be the person sort of stepping back having said that there is actually a model where this can work well where uh, for the last year or so I've been basically guiding my coworkers through uh, the various escape the room in a, uh, in a box games where um, the flaws with some of those games are that the creators got a little too far in their heads, so the hints don't really help. Yes. <laughs> but if you have a human being sitting in that room and being the nudge, it changes an experience that for me was very frustrating uh, the first time around, has been very pleasurable for my coworkers. So, yeah. That's great. As long as you are approaching that from the right direction and everybody involved knows and that you're not bringing dates in again and again to impress them at how quickly you're blowing through puzzles. <laughs> there are ways to make it work though. 
hey, look, someone out there, their whole shtick is being the James Bond of escape rooms. Let's not knock that guy's game too hard. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. On that ridiculous note, uh, we've been at this for almost an hour and a half. Probably a good time to wrap up. Uh, Hey, where can everyone be found? Let's start. uh, Lisa and David, how does everyone catch up with you guys? Oh, we are on roomescapeartist.com. You can subscribe to us there. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest. Ooh, Pinterest. And escape room owners, Pinterest means photos. So remember that. Michael, how do people connect with you? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, you can find um, Argnet at argn.com. And uh, I'm on Twitter both at uh, argn as well as MJ Anderson, A N D E R S. E-N. All right. And of course, you can find, I think, all of us hanging around the NoPro Slack, bit.ly, bit.ly slash, I said bit.ly.com, uh, idiot, bit.ly slash NoPro Slack is the shortcut to uh, signing up yourself. All right. Um, thank you all. And uh, this is a good one for uh, 150. So we'll talk soon. Once again, I want to thank Lisa, David, and Michael for being our guests on the show. Hey, this has been a long one, uh, so let's get out of here. Uh, plus, um, you know, it's a holiday weekend. I, w- I want to go play. Uh, there's so much on the way uh, in the next couple of months. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be intense, uh, and there's gonna be at least one bye week coming up. Uh, so just you know, brace yourselves. There'll be a week where there's no episode um, for a good cause. Uh, for a really good cause all right uh that's it let's do the things we always do first starting off with let's thank the sustaining backers of the show who indeed um honestly uh yeah this this wouldn't be happening i mean wouldn't be happening without the patreon in general but like i probably would have given up it was if it wasn't for these guys bradley smith jan budman lonnie hansen arthur tubman ari hurston sam kinkin and ross sigworth thank you all uh for being the backbone here and um, the music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. I'm Noah Nelson. You can find us at nopersinium.com, at nopersinium on Twitter, at nopersinium on Facebook, at no underscore persinium on Instagram. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>